Happy December! 1995 alumna Cindy Hasselgring has been dreaming of NASA since she visited Kennedy Space Center in Florida on a family vacation when she was a child. Cindy is now living her dream as a NASA next-gen STEM educational advocate. Listen as Cindy expresses gratitude for the gracious gift she has been given on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Thank you, Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I am Mark Weinstein, host of the podcast, and I'm truly looking forward to today's conversation with Cindy Hasselbring because it will be filled with stories that are out of this world. After graduating from Cedarville University in 1995, Cindy became a school teacher in her hometown of Milan, Michigan, where she enjoyed teaching math and coaching track and cross country during a great 16 year career. However, this inquisitive Michigander always dreamed of being an astronaut. And this passion is part of the reason why she was able to secure prominent roles in Washington, D.C., including with the National Science Foundation that put her inside the White House. I'll get to that story today on the program. Cindy is a second-generation Cedarville graduate as her mom, Janice Du Bois Hasselbring, graduated in 1967. She's also an avid fan of the athletics teams at the University of Michigan, which I'm sure we'll discuss because I follow the same teams. But before uh, all that gets going, let me welcome Cindy Hasselbring to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you very much, Mark. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Oh, uh, I've been waiting for this because we've had some good inter- interchange conversation uh, leading up to this this interview. But uh, as I as I looked at your your profile, your bio, uh, you appear, Cindy, to be an adventurous kind of person and not the prototypical math teacher, I might say. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, Yes, but at the same time, I will probably say I'm not that adventurous. In other words, I don't go rock climbing. I don't go, uh, you know, white rider rafting. Um, I would always describe myself, though, as competitive, uh, sometimes just against myself and always have. And as I shared with you, I love sports. Uh, Always my favorite team, Michigan Wolverines, whether it's a win or a loss. Um, So and I ran cross country and track at Cedarville my um, for four years. And after going on a missions trip with the volleyball team my junior year, Coach Brown asked me to come out for the volleyball team my senior year as well. So I was very heavily involved in sports at Cedarville. Where did that uh, interest in sports uh, get developed? Actually, my mom. So at Cedarville, my mom played basketball, volleyball, and field hockey. I'm not sure if it was intramural or if they played other teams. I should ask her, but she has always been very competitive. So my brother and I often were out in the front yard playing you know, basketball or softball with ball with my parents uh, very regularly. That's, that's great. That's uh, Those are fun memories to have, uh, I'm sure. So again, as I uh, got to know you a little bit before the podcast, I knew you've always wanted to be an astronaut. And we'll get into that story in a little bit. But you're also, as you said, an avid fan of the University of Michigan. How did your interest with the Maize and Blue develop? I grew up near Ann Arbor, Michigan, in a small town named Milan. And most everyone was a Michigan fan because Ann Arbor was the closest town. And my mom was the biggest fan I knew of by far. Uh, We lived out in the country in Milan, and my parents had a dinner bell out back. It had been there uh, before they bought the house. But every score, my mom insisted that my brother or I go out, ring the dinner bell to acknowledge points were put on the board by Michigan. 
So that's something I will always remember because, you know, Michigan football goes into the late fall and you can have snow, wind, rain, hail, (laughs) sunshine, the weather you can, you know, take your choice. Um, But as an adult, uh, I participated in the Michigan Women's Football Academy for more than 10 years that raised money for, yeah, for the cancer center there. Um, I had a blast learning football skills. We did a lot of squatting, it seemed like. but we also were able to scrimmage in the big house and the coaches and the players were our coaches. So to this day, I still connect with some of them on social media. So that's been a lot of fun. But as I said, uh, there are, even though we both love the University of Michigan, there are more important things in life than Michigan athletics. And, and namely, that is our relationship with Jesus. So I'm interested as we pivot in this conversation to from football to, to faith. Uh, can you share with us your faith journey, including when you accepted Christ as Savior? Yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, I am so grateful for Christ's work in my life and his patience and love for me. Uh, I became a Christian when I was five years old, and I actually very much remember the experience. So my family regularly listened to Uncle Charlie on Children's Bible Hour on Saturday mornings, Every, every week, we did not miss it. And Uncle Charlie one morning talked about becoming a Christian. And I remember running to my mom saying, Mom, what does that mean? You know, how do I do that? And that morning, she, August 24, 1978, I guess I'll date how old I am. Um, she helped me to accept Christ as my personal savior at that moment. Uh, I was baptized when I was about 10 years old. Uh, my parents were both Christians, so I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church every time the doors were open. Uh, and so, and then I, you know, was a church member and went to Cedarville. And I want to say I didn't have a lot of the struggles that other teenagers did because of my supportive home. So, you know, trials were experienced a little bit later. Uh, and I'm grateful for that. Um, but in t- December 2010, my pastor challenged me to think about, you know, Christmas is all about giving and receiving gifts. And we know that Jesus was the ultimate gift to us that first Christmas. Absolutely. And he shared that, you know, we receive this wonderful gift from Christ, but what do we give him in return? And he, he said, you know, have you really trusted him with everything? And I realized while as a Christian, you know, no doubt about that at all. But there were pockets within my life where I felt like I wasn't completely giving it over to him. And I had been teaching for a long time and just felt like I needed a new challenge. I said, you know what, Lord, you have got all of this and I give everything to you. Um, And and so that was a pivot for me um, because I had just applied for a fellowship program. Uh, that would take me to D- Washington, D.C. for 11 months. And I, I, at that point, I didn't know if I was going to get it or not. Um, but in March, I received a phone call that tested that faith when I was offered a fellowship position at the National Science Foundation in Arlington, Virginia. And that would take me the farthest I had been from my family uh, for a lengthy period of time. And, and honestly, I was a little bit nervous about that part. Um, I didn't know anybody else there. Um, And Mark, I will tell you, God confirmed that choice so soundly. I will never forget this because I had three concerns related to leaving for this fellowship program. One was my home. What would I do as a homeowner? Would I have health insurance coverage? And how would I get home to see my family? And literally God answered all of them within days. And Mm -hmm. the first one 
my home, a friend of mine called me and said, Cindy, what are you going to do with your house when you go to DC? Because my daughter would be interested in renting it. The day I accepted the fellowship that's, was that's confirmation. It was, it, it blew me away. And at that, you know, with that, I know, I knew, and I know now God is in control every day of everything. And it just was a good feeling with everything going on in the world to know who is on the throne always. Absolutely. That's fabulous. So um, during your time at Cedarville, um, any special memories that pop out uh, that really helped you in your spiritual journey? Well, you know, I, I don't think you realize until after you leave how much a blessing chapel is and all of the wonderful speakers and messages that you receive. You know, Dr. Dixon on Monday morning chapel was just the absolute best. I, I loved every time he spoke. Um, we had Erwin Lutzer. We had Ken Ham. I mean, the ultimate uh, leaders in Christianity today, who I just really have the most respect for. And I remember one time I was student teaching, I actually was jealous that I couldn't go to chapel because Tony Evans was there and the power went out and I, yeah, I wasn't there, but I was envious because the guy continued to speak, even though he had no sound system. And I just thought, wow, that what commitment to Cedarville university and its students by continuing to, to share his heart. Uh, in that time. And, and so I think chapel is such a big blessing. And I also went to Grace Bible Church or yeah, Grace Baptist Church, right? Grace Baptist, right? Yeah. Grace Baptist. Grace Baptist, right. Yeah. I was just there over homecoming. Um, but I also went to that church every Sunday and just really enjoyed um, the fellowship there and interacting with my professors, even off campus. That was just great. But I won't forget that. And then I told you I ran cross country. I think I said I ran cross country did, track right, in right. four years. But Coach King always was a father figure to me, um, and his wife was a you know very much like second parents, and they were always such a faithful witness um, of their faith uh, to the team. And so I greatly appreciate them too. Uh, that's and I, I've heard your story from a lot of people in my twelve years here at Cedarville, almost twelve oh, years. No. And so no, it's it's true. I mean, it's all about chapel. I mean, chapel's the heartbeat of Cedarville University. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and and I've heard the story about Tony Evans uh, many times. And you know, he was he's a strong he has a strong voice. So he has his own uh, sound system built in. And uh, but for a lot of people that was a great time for a lot of people in their lives. So yeah. Um, what does this mean to you to know that uh, you attended the same school as your mom? Yeah, so that means a lot to me, of course, and super special. Um, my mom is probably the person I looked up most to in this world, and I hope I don't get emotional about that, but um, we still are very close. And she was an athlete, as I mentioned, played volleyball, basketball, and field hockey. So again, that may explain why I like competition. Um, my family came to homecoming when I was a young kid, and at that point, I knew Cedarville would be the place for me. It was the only school I applied to go to. It's the only place I wanted to go to. Um, and one thing, Mark, I don't know if I shared is when I was young, Cedarville had a program for families to come to campus for a week. And we really? stayed in we stayed in Maddox Hall. And I don't know if it was alumni families or was more open than that. But I have a picture somewhere with my brother and I with our arms wrapped around Dr. Dixon. And oh he goodness. was a pretty young guy, just like we were young people. But so those were fond memories. So Cedarville felt like home when I went there as a student. Cindy, you've also communicated of your interest in being an astronaut. In fact, you applied five times to be an astronaut only to be denied. I don't know why five times. 
how did this interest uh, develop in you and how did you respond to being rejected by the astronaut, by, by NASA? Yeah, so that's a great question, Mark, and one I really kind of treasure because it's a special time in my life. Uh, my parents took me to Kennedy Space Center when I was very young, maybe five or seven years old. I don't remember exactly the year, but young, elementary age. And we, I remember walking through the Saturn V building there at the visitor center, seeing a mock-up of Mission Control and getting a chance to stand close to the launch pad. I actually have a picture uh, on LinkedIn of that experience. And my parents bought me a Hot Wheels size uh, space shuttle, which I still have. But dad also told me that men put a, man, a flag on the moon. And I always looked for it, wondering why I couldn't see it. But to this day, I still love looking up at the stars uh, and the planets. I mean, last night, you could see Jupiter, Saturn, and Venus all in the same sky. It was just stunning. Um, so I, I've always wanted to be an astronaut. I'm not sure I ever told anyone at a young age that that was my dream. But I will tell you, Cedarville has a little role in this because while we were at homecoming when I was a little girl, my parents bought me a poster in the bookstore at the old bookstore location. And it said, and those who dare to dream, dare to do. And it had a picture of an astronaut doing a spacewalk. And that poster was in my bedroom. It was at Cedarville in my dorm room. And it was in my classroom teaching for 16 years. And I think that that poster continually reminded me to go for go for it and the competition competitive side of me you know pursued that uh as as a goal and so uh i think when i was in high school i wasn't sure if i would be good enough and didn't feel necessarily smart enough without you know obviously you have misconceptions about things but it wasn't until 2002 when i heard that nasa was looking for teachers to apply as kind of a follow up to the teacher in space program they now right. had this educator astronaut program that they had developed right right so i applied um, for that in 2003 um, they announced it 2002 i applied in 2003 in 2004 i heard i made the top 200 and nasa turned us into a teacher group uh, called neat now, of course, you know, federal acronyms are, are popular. So Network of Educator Astronaut Teachers. And, um, and through that program, you know, I still wanted to apply to be an astronaut. Uh, it was suggested to me to get my pilot certificate, my scuba certification. So not wanting to leave anything on the table, I did both. And oh uh, it was a little challenging as a teacher with a teacher's salary to pursue my pilot certificate, but I did and, and made it and, and got that in 2008. Um, but I also thought there were other things I could do to better my chances. And I know that in 2004, uh, there were a couple Japanese astronauts selected. So I'm like, well, I can learn Japanese and I can learn more about their culture. Cause if you're in the tight confines of the space station, you've got to be able to get along with people. So I found a way as a teacher to go to Japan three times, three consecutive summers at no cost to me. Um, I took two Japanese classes later. I took two courses of Russian, 10 credits. I studied, I studied like crazy because Russian is incredibly hard, but I got A's in both of my courses and, you know, I just didn't want to leave any stone unturned, uh, to follow my dream. So when I got rejected, as you say, five times, you know, a couple of those stung worse than others. Um, and I'll say the middle one was the worst one because that was 2012 and 13. 
And I actually had an interview that year. Um, I think there were 120 interviews. So I was one of them. And it was a wonderful experience. And, you know, that was when I was finishing this fellowship at the National Science Foundation in D.C. that I think we're talking about a little bit, too. Um, and I thought this was God's path for me. And when I found out that, you know, I didn't make it, I was questioning him like, Lord, I know you're in control, but I don't know what you want me to do next. I really didn't because I had resigned my teaching job and I, I still get emotional because it was a very difficult time in my life. Um, but here's the good part, Mark. But God provided that rejection to serve as redirection. And this caused me to trust him more once again. So that was another growing opportunity for me. And I, I know I had, I know he had that. He, I needed to trust him. And I think of Philippians 1, 6, Yep. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I clung to that. You know, God's not quitting on us early, right? He, no. he carries it through to completion. So now I look back at that. And because I was a, rejected as an astronaut five times over 17 years, <laughs> which is a lot of rejection, uh, I did get my scuba certification, met a wonderful group of people doing that participated in many NASA teacher workshops. I've flown on two reduced gravity flights and had a blast. We're going to talk about that. Gone to three space shuttle launches, met many astronauts, friends with some. And because of that redirection, I also became a pilot, which I said, and be have become involved greatly in the aviation community still to this day. Uh, at the largest air show in America, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, each year, I helped lead a girls' aviation camp that helps share with girls the opportunities they have in aviation. So now the rejection has turned into a blessing because of all these other doors that I've opened without realizing what kinds of things, what kinds of opportunities would be behind them. Yeah, when I when I hear all that, the the verse that comes to my mind is that. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he gave you the strength to deal with the, the rejection, but he yeah. opened so many other doors. Yes. Uh, so yes. I, you, you just mentioned, Cindy, about the your reduced gravity flights. Tell us about these experiences. And 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 I think there was one time maybe you squirted um, water <laughs> out of a bottle. Tell us about that. Yeah, I will tell you about that one. So yeah, I've flown twice, uh, one time with Zero G, the company, and that was through the NASA teacher group that I mentioned before, NEAT. Um, we had the opportunity to fly. And I tell you what, Mark, there, if you ever get a chance to fly a reduced gravity flight, take it immediately. There is nothing like it. The plane does parabolas. And I think you climb pretty steeply for 8,000 feet and then drop 8,000 feet. So at the top, you're floating. At the bottom, your two G's. So, you know, you think about the floating part. And so one thing I wanted to do was squirt a little water out and yeah. water and reduce and zero gravity is a sphere. Right. And it just floats like a big bubble, except it's solid with water or not solid liquid water, of right. course, right. but you can bite it just like you could jello. And it's the craziest <laughs> experience. But then that part was super exciting but the problem was what goes up comes down in parabolas. So when we were 2G, it was raining pretty hardly on everyone <laughs> as a result of my actions. So they forgave me. Everybody was doing silly things. But that's that's how what happened when I, when you squirt water in a, a reduced gravity flight. Now, a space would be a different story. But what a great story. What a great experiences. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, did you ever think that you get to experience some of these opportunities or have some of these opportunities? No, absolutely not. And then I did mention the second flight was a NASA flight out of Houston. And yeah. I actually got to invite three of my teaching colleagues from Milan High School, where I taught, to do yeah. an experiment together. And they got to fly, too. And so that was fun to share that experience with people that I worked with every day. Um, and then we got to fly with a NASA, a NASA plane. Um, that one was a much more structured experience and we got to float around, but we also had an experience. We had a experiment. I'm sorry. We had to tend to. So we were constantly monitoring the experiment and uh, then we got to share it with our students, which was really meaningful. Cindy, let's, let's uh, transition a little bit now away from NASA and, um, when you decided to leave your teaching position at um, Milan in Milan um, for the one-year fellowship with the National Science Foundation, which you've alluded to, you had every intention, I believe, of returning back to Milan to, to continue teaching, but that's not what happened. Instead, you were asked to stay for a second year, which is a great honor. Uh, how difficult was it for you? How, well, how difficult was this decision and who helped you through the, the decision-making process? I have two words for you, gut wrenching. <laughs> so, you know, I grew up in the town where I taught, uh, was very plugged in there with my church, with the youth group, with my school, with coaching. I mean, there, I, I knew everybody in the grocery store every time I went, uh, it felt like, and to actually give that up without knowing what would happen after the second year, as I mentioned, was a test of my faith in God being in complete control of my life. And so when I was offered the second year, I didn't immediately know what the right answer was. So as you mentioned, uh, you know, I did reach out to a few and I, ironically, I did not ask my parents. Um, as I mentioned, my mom and I are very close. I knew she'd want me to come back. And so I did not ask her her opinion at all. But I did ask my pastor and his wife, Doug and Lisa Strader, and another couple who had become very close to me, and their names are Jack and Gracia Lausma. And Jack was a former astronaut and actually had, I had been able to pick his brain on my first astronaut application. And so it was great to have these four individuals as great advisors. And Doug, uh, in my conversation with Doug and Lisa, he said, Cindy, you can always return to teaching, but you can't return to this fellowship. God has this door wide open for you. Who are you to shut it? And that was the moment I knew what God wanted me to do. And that was to resign my teaching job in Milan, where I would have retired from, you know, if not for this fellowship and, and go for an additional 11 months at the National Science Foundation um, without knowing what the future held. And, you know, I feel like God has the door open a little crack, but he doesn't open it wide open because he does want us to trust him. And that was difficult. Uh, so that second year, though, I gained so much experience that ended up becoming foundational for where I went later in my life, because I was under the leadership and guidance of Joan Freeney Mundy, who is still a mentor to me to this day. She gave me the opportunity to support her in interagency work to develop a federal STEM education strategic plan, uh, which the effort was led by the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. So Great experience to get to know other members within the federal government that I ended up working with uh, 10 years later. So who knows where you're going to go, you know, in the future. Well, that's a good lesson to for all of us to hear, because even in difficult situations, there's good that's going to come out of it. 
if we just trust the Lord. And that's what you that's what you had to do. That's what you decided to do is to just walk through that door and see where he led you. And we'll get to a little more about where he's led you in a minute. Um, since the fellowship concluded, Cindy, you've held various roles in the math and science world, including working for the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. And then you took a job that led you to the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. That sounds impressive. <laughs> what was it what was it like to have such a high profile profile job and work in the white house well thank you mark i didn't really think of it that way um i still feel like the teacher from Milan high school in Milan, michigan at my hometown i don't feel like i've changed too much since then really um but i was deeply honored and incredibly humbled to be asked to work at the white house office of science and technology policy i served as assistant director and senior policy advisor for STEM education there. It was the last thing I was expecting to do. Um, my building was right next door to the West Wing. Uh, every time I walked through the security gate, I had goosebumps each time. I actually took a picture of my building every day I went to the office, which ended up being cut short by the pandemic um, and the shift to remote work. But you know, during that time I was there, I co-chaired five interagency work groups, uh, led development of two reports that went to Congress, had a number of speaking engagements, was in meetings with some high profile people, but I really enjoyed working with the federal agencies and the people who lead STEM education uh, there. They're so dedicated and passionate about their work. Uh, and I still get to work with them to this day, which has been wonderful. But yeah, it, it was an incredible experience. I, I wouldn't have traded that for anything. It just was a great, great experience. It's easy to point to, you know, you rub shoulders with this person. You saw this high profile person and I'm tempted to go there. But what, what, <laughs> I, but, what I really want to know, though, is um, what kind of impact do you think your work in this role what, what kind of impact have you had uh, currently or while you're doing it and now futuristically? Yeah. So, you know, I always wanted to show Christ in my life, right? How I responded to difficult situations, how I communicate, how I work with others, you know, uh, listening versus always being the one talking. So I always wanted to exemplify Christ and, and glorify him um, in everything I say and, and said and did. Uh, and I will tell you, I'm not sure I totally answered your question, but I will tell you too, Mark, that I have never felt more free to be a Christian than I did at the White House. Wow. Ironically, you would never think that, but that what? that is true. Why? I knew a lot of Christians there. Um, you know, I can't really answer that, but um, I knew quite a few Christians there that I worked with. And that was the most freeing thing I have ever experienced. Um, I participate in the Bible study on campus. So that helps obviously a lot when you know you've got encouragement right next to you, uh, you know, in your hallway or, or whatever. So um, it that part was really great. And it kind of empowered me to be more open about my faith, which I was. That is so neat. Hey, Cindy, we're uh, really out of time, but I'm going to fast forward to two final questions. Uh, what does the Lord have you doing today? So in September, I began working for NASA headquarters and the Office of STEM Engagement five weeks ago. Uh, I'm still working remotely. So many meetings are virtual each day. And I pray each day that I find a way to glorify the Lord in this new position and bring honor to his name. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited to be there. I can't wait to see where this next 
this next phase of my journey goes, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, I'm supporting teachers in, in my work right now, which I dearly love, have been passionate about. So I'm very grateful. So I go back to earlier in the conversation, you talked about that that poster about dreaming big and your your dream was NASA, being an astronaut. Well, maybe it was just an astronaut, but now it's really come full circle. You're working for NASA. Right. And you know, if William Shatner can go to space at 90 years old, why can't I? I, I want to see you go to space. I want to <laughs> see you reach that dream and uh, Cedarville Stories podcast will cover it very well. Great. Okay, Mark, you're, you put, I'll put you on my launch list. Please. I'll hold, <laughs> I'll, I'll hold you to it. I'll hold you to okay. it. Okay. Cindy, as I wrap up today's conversation, um, I want to conclude the program by asking you my typical question, and that is, uh, at the heart of the Cedarville Stories podcast, we strive to tell Cedarville stories for God's glory. How do you believe you are bringing God glory in all that you say and do? You know, I, I, I have been able to use my testimony about really giving trust to the Lord many times since 2011, when, you know, I moved out of my comfort zone, out of the, the nest, so to speak, off into a new world. And, um, and I've been able to share what God has done in my life to help others. And there's no magic sauce for my career journey. It's all, it's all God. And I just really trust that he's faithful. Uh, like I said, he'll carry it to completion and we, we can't be afraid to trust him with all aspects of our life. So that is how I want to bring him glory is continue to share my story as an example of, you know, if you give your trust to the Lord, he can do mighty things in your life. And that's what I've seen. That's exactly what you have done. And that's exactly what he has done through you, uh, through your job with NASA, the White House, teaching in Milan, Michigan. So I, I thank you for sharing your story. I look forward to meeting you in person next time you come to campus. That'd be great, Mark. I love that. Thank you very much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me this week on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.